welcome to the Question Show, a special episode of Swedenborg and Life Tonight. Great to have you here. And this is an extra special Question Show because we're going to play a game on this show. And this game is called One of These Things is Not Like the Others. And right now, you can't tell. Okay, there you go. So at home, write it in the comment section. One of these things is not like the others. Uh, my name is Curtis Childs, uh, and I'm the host of Sweet Morgan Life, and I'm very happy to be here. What we're doing today is, at the end of each episode, uh, I make this, like, really, it's, I'm trying my best, but, it, you know, it's often falls flat. I make an attempt to answer questions from the audience. So uh, I thought we'd get a group in here and do that together. Um, uh, you know, attempt to answer questions and come up just a little short because there's a lot around Swedenborg and we want to try to get to it. So I want to tell why I have the people here that I have. Right to my left here, this is Kara Dom. You've probably seen her on the show before. Um, so Kara is involved in translation. And t- t- if this is not fair, tell me. Kara is involved in translating. She's a Latin consultant for the New Century Edition of Swedenborg's works, which means everything we see on the show, you know, I read things, they appear beside me. That's all New Century Edition, these new translations. You should see Swedenborg before they got a hold of it, if you think he's hard to understand now. So they've done a lot of good work. So she's been, you've, you've been pouring it over in the original language, understanding it. So this is, you know, somebody who's, who's seen a lot of Swedenborg. So thanks for coming. Uh, then camera two. Uh, there we have Dr. Jonathan Rose, who is actually steering that ship, the New Century Edition ship. He's a series editor, longtime Swedenborg scholar, and uh, you've seen him on the show as well. So that covers our translation side. Thanks for coming, uh, Dr. J, if I can call you that. Um, and then Chelsea, on the end there, she works on the show. I mean, she part of you're watching the show. She's part of the writing team. She's doing stuff for our Facebook page. So these are people, and so she's interactive with the, this same audience that's giving us all these questions to you guys, which you're all cool out there. So that's us. Mm-hmm. We were talking beforehand about we're not really a panel of experts. We're just a panel of friends, uh, your friends, uh, who are going to try to take questions and do our best to elaborate on it and, and get to the root of it. So that's plenty for that. Let's take a look. So how the game works, you guys are watching live. Get your questions in, and we'll answer them. We have some. We asked for questions beforehand, so we have a little stash, but we'd love to take some live from you as well. So that that's the game. That's how it's played. Are you guys ready to go? Okay, cool. Yeah, Let's take a look at the first question. This is, I'm curious about how Swedenborg was treated by his peers, by French Fry, which is a delicious name. Thanks for writing in French Fry. So Swedenborg, right. We, we think of him as uh, a set of books or, um, or just a, a guy with a pa- painted picture of him. But he was a person. And if you're going to come out and say, I saw angels and I saw spirits and I'm writing this book about how God really works and you, you were a scientist before you know, your people are going to have a reaction to that. So what was the reaction? Was everybody back then making shows about him? Like, this is how cool Swedenborg was? What was it? So I want to start with you, Jonathan, because uh, you probably know better than I. What? How did it land when, when, he, when he jumped this cannonball? Well, Emanuel Swedenborg was a nobleman, and he was part of the uh, Swedish government, being the oldest male in his family. Uh, so... He was a pretty powerful person in Sweden at the time, and he had very good friends in the royal family of Sweden, uh, in the monarchy. Uh, so he was pretty well protected, and people were pretty nice to him in public, uh-huh. and so on. Uh, there was a whole range of opinions that people had about him behind the scenes. 
Uh, he even talks about a brother-in-law of his who repeatedly tried to kill him and wanted to kill him. <laughs> so there that, was at one point a yeah. movement afoot in the Swedish uh, parliament, the Swedish diet, to to try to have him declared insane because he was so politically powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, he definitely had enemies. There Sometimes there are stories that exist that he would go to a party and there would be people there who went there just to laugh at this guy who talks to spirits. And then when they'd listen to him, they'd just be charmed and enchanted and listening like a child to a you know a bedtime story yeah. or something like that. So I think he had an interesting effect on people, but it, it was all over the map. I feel like, yeah, all over the... At one end would be repeated attempts to kill. I mean, that <laughs> yes. doesn't get worse than that. <laughs> yeah, so that's right. That that's lands right. pretty hard. That's, 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 uh, that's a little worse than getting a YouTube comment that's like, this show is dumb or something. Yes, like right. <laughs> um, so... Yes, he and you know there was like Kant and you know for he was there's a sort of murkiness around that that he was seemed to be enamored with him privately but then became critical of him it could have been to protect his reputation I don't know I wasn't in his head um, but so so kind of a range um, and I do remember that he had some he had some cl- people who he thought would be close friends and supporters who kind of turned on him right <clears throat> that's right that's right he had some people who he thought would love his books and and they they secretly you know uh didn't or tried to get rid of them as fast as possible and they were turned out to actually be enemies yeah yeah so his intellectual peers and then and the people who just we once did a show about this the people who just knew him thought he was nice i mean the people he rented from all yeah. that kind of stuff he was very well loved he was very popular with people from all levels of society yeah uh you know sometimes when when you're in the nobility at that time you'd have friends of other noble people uh, but his gardener and his cook just loved him the children in the neighborhood loved him you know he was a very well loved figure by a lot of people but he was controversial and yeah. hated by some there you go now Cara Chelsea, do you guys want to say anything about that particular question, or do you feel like that's it for the Pierce question? I guess I have one reflection of something I think is coming to mind from a biography I read of Swedenborg, but just that he's, what from what stories I've heard and read, that he was a pretty um, welcoming person. You know, like yeah. he would take calls from people. If somebody wanted to go and visit him, he would welcome people into his home and talk. So it just seems like he was personable or sort of he, he didn't mm-hmm. sort of shut himself off from society because people were hating him and wanting right. to kill him or whatever so like that was just a thought yeah that's true gracious Ma- guest maintained a decent attitude or so they say who knows, who knows <laughs> what do we know okay and there we go so we got to end with what do we know okay let's let's take this great question let's take a look at another one uh yokopo does swedenborg talk about war some christians say that fighting a war is sinful but i struggle with that a lot are soldiers who kill in war guilty of murder War is horrible, but sometimes needed. It's a great question. Um, I'll, you know, I was going to say I'll, I'll fire the opening round, but not for this question, right? Um, I do want to say sometimes, no, the Swedenborg does not come down and say no war is permissible, right? I mean, this gets into, because he says that you, there's um, love of the neighbor depends on what kind of neighbor it is. If there's a nation that's trying to take you over kill everyone within the loving thing to do is protect the people who are there right does anyone want to disagree with me on that no no that's i think that's very accurate and um he sees a huge difference between a defensive action that if you're under attack you defend yourself and so on the way he speaks about the angels in heaven is that they always 
defend. You know, they don't go, they don't go on a preemptive strike or right. something. You know, so he sees a difference between defending territory that is that is yours as opposed to just going across the world and and, and attacking preemptively or that kind of sure. thing. I don't think mm-hmm. he would support that idea, but he does believe that it can be an important part of loving your country, that your country is a larger form of the neighbor than the individuals or your community. Your your country is, is like a, a parent to you. It n- nurtures you and so on. So it can be uh, very important to protect that, and it just seems kind of inevitable. And yet he says that the things that are done in war, many of them are uh, horrific or hellish and so on. You know, he, he's not sort of dreaming about what, what war yeah. is. Right, right, right. And, well, Carl, you want to talk a little bit about uh, the importance of intent as he describes it? He says that angels can see an, an action and put a put a bunch of different interpretations on it. It's really about what what we're trying to do when we it, do it, right? Yeah. Right. The intention is the uh, our purposes in any action is what is judgeable, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've sure heard lots of stories about people that soldiers that have had a tough time with what they had to do in war that is not you know the act itself is not going to make the difference about their salvation yeah because you and that's the only thing that makes sense because if you like it's not like a scorecard you killed a person so that's it for you there's all kinds of situations where this is I have to do this to stop Something worse from happening, uh, you know. I'm it's self defense. Those kinds of things, you, right. and, and it's, you know, yeah. The, the, if this is what has to happen to stop a greater evil or something, even if it turns out it wasn't the right thing to do, if you if you thought it was, if you really mm-hmm. thought I'm trying to do what's right, even if it's something that's really hard to make a call on, I can't. You know, wouldn't that be what matters? You know? mm-hmm. So, those are a few of my thoughts, Chelsea. Do you have any furthers? Um, the only thought that's coming to my mind is that uh, just how prevalent war imagery is in the Bible and that right. that seems like it's, I don't want to say necessarily like it's condoning war, but just that it's acknowledged, it acknowledges just the presence of war that it's, and that that is reflective of our spiritual experience, that there's yeah. like battles that we go through inside internally. And so just that that is something that we see in our world outside and inside and um, but I used to get really frustrated about the battle imagery in the word, but I feel like it, uh, like I had a moment of understanding how that's just what happens when something's being protected, you mm. know, that then the outcome can be this warlike experience. Yeah, well, we could take a long time about the, the war between heaven and hell and mm. how, how Swedenborg describes it as you're saying that good truly comes alive when it's protecting and evil truly comes alive when it's att- it's not just like heaven's got an army hell's got an army w- one's going to destroy the other and that one wins that hell wants to destroy everything or the nature of the, the kind of love that drives hell is to destroy everything heaven is trying to protect everything even protect the people in hell who are attacking mm-hmm. while they're attacking so i mean do, that's right do you, do you guys want to say one or two things about that before we get on to our next question but i feel like we could talk about that forever well, it's a it's a beautiful thought that Swedenborg expresses that um, that heaven fortunately has the upper hand. Love is more powerful. Love and truth are more powerful than the darkness, mm-hmm. you know, than evil and falsity, as he refers to them. And 
that angels, even at times when there needs to be an entire restoration of the state in the spiritual world that happens from time to time, still all the angels do is they just draw a line that says you're you're not allowed to come past here, but you're you're fine over there. You know, like yeah. fortunately, heaven does not have it in for hell. It doesn't want to destroy hell or wipe them mm-hmm. out. Uh, that's the way hell feels about heaven that they want to destroy. So fortunately, heaven has the upper hand. Absolutely. And yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just wondering, isn't there somewhere where he talks about the spiritual causation of wars in the world? Mm, yes. Is there anything that comes to mind to you about that? I just, yeah, oh, I something's mean, ringing a bell in like my mind. Reordering of heavens or spiritual. Well, he says at one point that all wars in the world reflect states of the church. That's right. So, we, okay, this, okay, so now we're really <laughs> moving from the initial question, but okay, if you, no, no, that that's Good. the point. Um, <laughs> But if we want to go, like, we're going down one rabbit hole, and look, there's a rabbit hole in that rabbit hole, because he talks about how in the Old Testament, the different countries symbolize different aspects of what you could call the human psyche. I mean, the the church, which is this internal thing. So those different countries represent that and they they when they war, that's like the clash between heaven and hell. But he said that in his day, Various countries in Europe were representing the same thing. Same thing. But he said he wouldn't say who was who. So right. I would imagine if it's all true, you would have a whole different set of representations today. Uh, and what are those wars? It's not just like rep- it's like those wars are the end effect of wars in the spiritual world, etc., uh, etc. Et That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Does anyone disagree? Yes. I only no. I don't disagree. <laughs> I just had this might be going down another rabbit hole, but just that idea that. In the same way that we are, it's nice to remember because war just it immediately brings up the idea of an enemy. But it's cool yeah. that the wars that are inside of us, it's all us. And so wars that are in this world, we're all in it together. You know, like yeah. the more we realize that we're one person that's figuring itself out spiritually in a community collective way, you know, then there's, I don't know, mm. it gives me some hope. You know, because like life isn't just this physical experience, it extends, you know, to eternity in the spiritual world. And so, even if somebody is brought to the point of killing somebody in a war, that's, it's a part, it's a piece in this greater puzzle and everybody mm. has a path and well, I don't the, know if I'm making sense. No, 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 that's no. A, that sense. <laughs> and I will add to it this, which is that in these uh, spiritual conflicts um, that, we can, that you can find yourself in, um, everybody, everything is trying to bring out good. And it was the coolest thing for me about Swedenborg's interpretation of the Old and New Testament. Uh, if, if you guys haven't ever picked up Secrets of Heaven, we just did a show called The Modern Cain and Abel, which mm-hmm. is about this violent story in the Old Testament. One of the coolest things for me when I was first learning this stuff is that Swedenborg, the internal sense he describes, takes a story that's really objectionable, it's really violent, uh, grotesque in some way, but when you hear what it's actually about, it's this really loving thing of like the divine trying to help somebody who doesn't understand what... It's, so it's just this complete turnaround, and, and I think that that's cool. Okay, we've got to go to the next question. We're averaging one question like every 19 minutes. So this is from Jim on YouTube. I've recently had numerous experiences with people with autism and bipolar problems. Are these physical problems like a staph infection or are these spiritual illnesses? Whoa, that's good. Okay, so let's get ready to say I don't know. Um, I don't know. All together now. One, two, three. Um, now, they, but I don't know, but there are some scattered things Swedenborg says about mm-hmm. it. Um, so, okay, I've been talking a lot. Do you guys want to start? Okay, great. 
Okay, good. I'll go. Just kidding. You go. Yeah. No, you, you go. go. No, I don't know anything. No, you, you go. go. Okay, all right. Well, th- these are the pieces. I'll, I'll, I'll put out some pieces, and you put them together. Okay. The physical matters. There's nothing that's purely spiritual. I mean, in our consciousness, the spiritual is interacting with the physical. You often get in spiritual kind of... Um, uh, spiritual kind of traditions or, or, or current spiritual worldviews, people will say, oh, the, uh, you know, it does not about the brain at all. It's, it's all, it's all spiritual. But, and, but scientists will come back and say, listen, we know that the brain is what makes consciousness because you injure a party at Phineas Gage, that guy that you learn about in textbooks, he had a railroad spike go through his head and it turned him into a different person, right? Um, so that proves you, we can shut down your language center, you don't know language anymore. However, Swedenborg makes that same argument to prove his point. That he says, injure these substances and you'll go out of your mind. So for, to him, that the, the mind is an organ like the eye. The eye takes in light and, and makes images. The mind takes in spiritual things. And if you, the mind is damaged... You have a problem. However, he also says that he, he mentions things like anxiety, depression, being caused by spirits. So those are a couple irreconcilable things. So reconcile them. I, I like that. The yeah. um, you know, Swedenborg says that inflow is according to the receiving vessel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he believes there's these two separate worlds, the spiritual world and the physical world, and that the physical world is a world of causes and the I mean, the spiritual world's a world of causes, physical world's a world of effects. So he he would not believe that physical things flow into the spiritual world and cause stuff to happen up mm-hmm. there, but that that inflow from the spiritual down into the physical is according to the form of the receiving vessel. And so just like, I let's say if it's raining and one person has a bucket and another person has a thimble or something, the the amount of rain you catch, you know, the rain is coming down from above, but it still very much depends what, what the vessel looks like. Uh, and we've all had that experience. You know, you get anesthetic before a surgery or, or, or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. substance that you, you put in your bloodstream, it, it changes the way that you feel. Um, being hungry. Even though it's just purely be, being hungry. Being hungry yep. changes the way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Being angry or whatever, yeah. you know, it changes the state of the vessel. Um, I wouldn't hazard a guess to say in the case of autism and so on, you know, what is going on. But I think there's there's something going on with the vessel. You know, the vessel's in the different world. in the physical world. The physical vessel is a little different. And uh, so that changes the nature. It doesn't mean worse or you know it's not an evaluative thing or whatever but yeah. it's just you have different gifts or a different circumstance uh so it may be of the vessel but it does change the way that inflow happens yeah exactly okay you guys any other thoughts um yeah just that like the experience of uh thinking again about sort of our collective experience that there's there is this he does talk about how evil and hell that ex- that has e- brought about nasty physical things in our world or diseases or things like that ultimately have sort of that kind of Mm. origin i think but that but just because one person gets a certain you know disease doesn't mean that they're guilty of some particular Mm -hmm. evil but it's just sort of like we all can have bad days because we're all in this you know yes well yeah you think about uh, on a physical physical level metaphor 
uh, pollution. I, w- I was watching this documentary once about mountaintop removal mining, which is where they, they have, like, in Appalachia and the United States, they have these mountains, and they just blow up the whole top and try to grab out some coal. And there's these little towns in the valleys. Um, and the kids in those towns were uh, having autism at these astronomically high rates because the water had mercury in it. Just for, and it was from what these guys were doing up on the mountains, but the company was denying it. So on. The point is, those kids... The reason they were having autism is not because they deserved it. It's because they're part of this larger matrix. And so Swinburg is just saying the matrix extends to the spiritual world. So the the, the evil overall can affect everyone. It doesn't mean you have that particular... Like what, this guy, was he born blind because his parents sinned or because, from the New Testament? Right. Um, okay. So those are a few words that I said in sequence. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Cara, do you have any thoughts? Mm, I think he covered it. Okay, so this and this is what I want to say about our, our answer, to defend our answer <laughs> to you guys at home. We shouldn't know the specifics about something like that because um, it's if it's real, it's going to be really complicated. Mm-hmm. Swedenborg, by the time that Swedenborg was uh, there, the, things like autism, the, the, these were not diagnosed. They weren't categorized like that. So he He would have just had a few building blocks. Uh, so you actually look at people who study those disorders now. You have to be a specialist and get in there, do all these studies to figure out anything about it. So we are going to have some thoughts on it, but we shouldn't be able to just, oh, I know the, the, the root answer to this complex problem because I've read Swedenborg. He wasn't even focusing on something like that. So I think right. we're doing a great job. Yeah. Can I Please? say one thing? No, that's it. Just kidding. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> just, it's almost more satisfying sometimes to say just general ideas about it than trying to, like, you know, tease out specifics, but just knowing that one thing I do know is that we have physical minds that are in the physical world and our minds are also connected to the spiritual world. So they're both there. And I love yeah. something that we keep coming back to in doing shows is just that we know that the physical world is incredibly intricate and complicated. And so we sort of then think that the spiritual or the spirit is somehow just this like, you know, monotype, yeah, just like fluid like thing. Like, of course it's yeah. going to be something as intricate and you know complex. yeah or more yeah complex so. right yeah. then yeah, as the right. physical world that's let's right. get to our next question and for this question i'm not going to tap on the table as much as i have been <laughs> okay <laughs> this is from cammy on youtube if there's a personal god who loves us why would that would the god allow so much unnecessary suffering like tay-sachs disease if it is for us to learn and grow as a person are there not other ways to learn so that's the big question that that, that boils down to the question mm-hmm. if if you were going to tell me, so I'm a person living my life, and I could see that there could be God, and certain things in life, little babies make you think, there's maybe there is this divine love behind everything. However, if you guys are going to sit and have a panel and tell me that there's divine love and wisdom running the universe, why is everything so full of misery? You know, And if not for me, for these other people. So that's, well, that's so we better answer that question. Um, and I want to start just by saying, um, we, you know, without any of us having that particular disease, um, we can't just, we don't want to just intellectualize it away. That's a heavy thing. And you want to, whenever people ask that question, I initially just want to honor the, the suffering. The, 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 we're going to say some things about it, but it doesn't mean, well, this, turns out God is so good, you shouldn't be mad about anything. Like, I don't think that that's... And Swedenborg even talks about how when things are going hard for us, we can say all kinds of nasty things about God, and that's not counted against us, because you're just you're at your breaking point. So, there's, there's a bit of table setting to begin. 
I don't want to hear hear from you guys. So Cara's got yeah. this one. Yeah, just wrap it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, my heart goes out to everyone who's suffering all the time. It's hard to be in this world. Um, I think uh, one thing I've learned out of my own suffering is that it does, as you say, Cammy, it helps you grow. I mean, it hits the thing that has grown my compassion for the rest of the world more than anything else is my own suffering. And that feels like something useful that comes out of my own suffering. Another thing is um, that uh, providing, uh, like uh, being someone that people can help. It's a useful thing for people to be right. able to help other people. Right. This all sounds like mm. it's, like you said, it, it sounds like it's platitudes about uh, heart suffering, but I'm but, just looking for yeah. the good. Um, uh, Swedenborg says that the Lord never allows anything to happen unless good can come from it. So my effort in my suffering is to look for what good is coming from it. Yeah. I don't understand why. I don't know why some people have to have Tay-Sachs or Alzheimer's or whatever. Yeah. So I just try to look look for what good might be around the edges. So that first gets at that word, unnecessary suffering. Um, that, that as unbelievable as it may seem, not that the suffering is necessary in that you need to suffer this much to, the way I would phrase it is, good is coming out of everything, even if it looks like this is something that could never, that, that won't, you know, when you, when we're looking back on it, we will see overall I'm, I'm even better off than I could have been. Other thoughts? Um, well, the thoughts that come to my mind, I, you know, am an avid reader and studier of Swedenborg and also of um, Buddhism. And there's something, there is a sort of coming together of these, um, you know, paths that I see. And one thought that comes to mind with this is just that, uh, in general, Swedenborg says, when we're in this world, we're so outwardly focused. We're totally focused on our senses. And if your consciousness is always there, it's nothing but suffering pretty much all the time. Or it's just a constant back and forth between, oh, things feel good. Oh, no, and now it's going to feel horrible. And now things feel horrible. Right. So, And that, you know, lots of religious traditions all talk about how the deeper we go into our consciousness, the more... Um, there's a greater stability or there's there's an inner resource of just an ever-present you know um love like that divine love and um so these are sort of scattered thoughts but one thought is just that um i feel like there's as much as like Kara was t speaking to as much as there's suffering there's compassion like the two go together and so even if we don't it's hard to talk about the origin of suffering there's suffering and that just brings out so much compassion in people, you know, and if it weren't that for your own personal suffering, you don't, you get that compassion when you go through horrible things yourself and then you realize, oh, so many other people are going through these horrible things too. So there is just this huge opportunity for compassion. And as far as like, couldn't there be other ways, you know, for us to learn these things? And I think it's kind of, you know, I mean, I'm not in the middle of a crisis right now, and I have been in the past, but so I can sort of speak from a little bit of distance from like that crisis mode suffering. But um, God is so expansive that even these most horrid, you know, atrocities of our physical and, you know, embodied experience is still totally okay within you know, like God's ability to transform that or use that as a transformative thing for us to our greatest benefit and the people around us, you know? And sometimes it takes going through just like the worst of the worst 
And then you realize, oh my goodness, you know, even this isn't so bad that, that I can't be experiencing just this immense love, you know, or just this, you know, and presence. The, yeah, the, the currency, I think, would be whatever suffering there is, the person going through it, that they at some point would be like, it's okay that that happened. You know, if you can get there, then it could be like, okay, maybe maybe God is all right. And I think of, because us watching people suffer, you can, this could never be okay. But, you know, I, I think about the suffering that I've had. Um, it's okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> um, and I think if someone can get to that point, and I think of people who've had near-death experiences, uh, they always say, they, they, even if they've had, I've heard them describe, before I had issues with God, I didn't understand suffering. When you see the plan, or when you see it for what it is, and I don't know what that looks like, I get these technical descriptions from Swedenborg, but when they see it as a living thing, they always come back and say, it's all right. Nobody, I've never read anything by anyone who's had near-death experience who says, like, life is stupid. They're all like, this is good. Even though they come back and often they have these horrible recoveries from whatever accident they had. Mm. So that's another thought. But Jonathan, I'd love for you to weigh in on the whole thing. Yeah, I I was thinking about the New Testament, um, the story of the uh, crucifixion, the way that it's told in Luke. Um, An angel comes to Jesus and ministers to him. And in the very next verse, it says Jesus was sweating. He was in agony and he was sweating like great drops of blood. In other words, even having an angel right there ministering to him didn't take away all of the suffering of the moment. Uh, Swedenborg says at one point, and I don't know what people will think of this quote, but he says the entire human race is in distress. And it did something to me when I read that because... I thought a lot about my own suffering and the suffering of people closest to me who you can see. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people when you see them at a distance, you think, oh, well, they're fine. But everybody I know is suffering. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but then to read that, you know, the entire human race is in distress. That, that makes um, so much sense to me. I've thought that suffering must be the fastest route to some kind of spiritual awakening. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's the quickest, most powerful medicine uh, in terms of compassion, as other people have mentioned. Um, so those are some thoughts. I think that there's also this combining of a seemingly paradoxical combination of everything that's happening in your life in particular, it, good is going to come out of it. You know, that, that it's going to, in the end, you're getting a good deal. It may not seem like it, but in the end you are. And also, your suffering is not because you deserve it or because you brought it on no. yourself. Right. I think about, you know, like we just saw these... Uh, attacks in Paris, Random right? All these people, people get, have right. these horrific things happen. Those particular people didn't bring that on them, but it's part of this larger problem in the world. And I, so there's some combination of, yes, Swedenborg does say divine providence is micromanaging yeah. your life to make sure everything that happens to you will, will only bless you in the long run. And also you're a casualty of this larger war between good and evil. So I don't know quite how those fit together, but they do trust me. Yeah. That's so, right. Okay, so <laughs> I, feel I trust like you. I there's trust a you. like it was Cami, right? Yeah. That that yeah. even the fact that we keep asking that question is just such a sign that we all are coming from such a place of love and compassion that we keep saying, Oh, why do we all need to keep suffering so much this yeah. way? Mm-hmm. Like so where is that coming from? Mm-hmm. And and also that like it's so easy to think about time, you know, as this long history and oh all the suffering in the world, but it all comes back to the present moment and the fact that 
God is in the moment. And Swedenborg has that quote about how if you're having a feeling of compassion on somebody, that's actually the Lord being like, do something, you know, there's something for you to do here. Or, you know, and to sort of take it a step further and be like, okay, I am aware of all this suffering in the world. What's one thing I could do? And it's not like, okay, I'm going to go open a nonprofit, but it comes down to just, there's always going to be an opportunity throughout the moments of anybody's day to be able to show up with sort of compassion rather than maybe just perpetuating the, the crap, for lack of a better word. Yeah, that, that's the right word. Um, I, oh, this will be the final comment on this particular question. We've, it's already 1130. Um, uh, I did like three weeks ago have this feeling of thinking about, I was thinking about helping people. Don't worry, I don't usually go around thinking about helping people. This was an anomaly. But I did think in terms of suffering, you can help and it actually makes a difference. If there wasn't any suffering, you couldn't actually ever help anyone. Mm. Swedenborg says, the universe was created so that usefulness could exist. And there's probably a particular feeling of, I'm actually going to help this person. Mm. And if I didn't go out there and risk something to help them, they're going to suffer. I'm going to go do this and it's real. And and what is that? Is that more valuable than we know? What what role does that mm. play? So, I don't know. So those are all the answers, and they're it's probably unsatisfying to a lot of you who are suffering in various ways. We're not asking you to be suff- satisfied with suffering because of what we say, but we just wanted to have this conversation with you. So thanks, Cam. We Cameron. feel for you. Yeah, yep. we definitely. Um, uh, let's take a look at the next one. White Dove, YouTube. How can you see things that the physical body can't see? Uh, and we could take – so that was Swedenborg's day job was seeing things that the physical body can't see. Uh, so, Clara, how do you do it? I don't know. Supposedly, there's some. we have a set of spiritual eyes and a set of natural eyes, and they're operating in different realms. Um, I have friends who have all kinds of seeing things that aren't visible to most people's physical eyes. I have dreams. I have an imagination. I have daydreams. I can imagine seeing things without my physical eyes, but uh, there is a spiritual level of seeing and understanding that is different than our eyeballs. And they kind of, they're kind of on a revolving door. As we just, like when your physical eyes are going, your spiritual eyes are closed and, and vice versa, mm-hmm. usually, but, mm-hmm. but there are other cases. So what do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, well, I was thinking about the again to go back to the Bible, not to try to hammer this, but the. Um, Can I first, talk to you about Jesus? <laughs> first Corinthians, <laughs> have you ever thought of? Yeah, the um, First Corinthians fifteen. There's a quote about there is a natural body and there's a spiritual body, and that we live in the natural body and then we awaken in the spiritual body after we die, and and um, that's been very striking to me. The idea that you have spiritual senses. And as you say, sometimes the, the physical senses drown out your spiritual senses because they're sort of louder and closer to us because of being in the flesh. Uh, but we do have those other eyes. One example, I, I read a book by a man who went uh, blind as an adult, completely blind. And he just talked about how he dreams in full, you know, he can see perfectly. And then, he, you know, he can tell when he's dreaming versus when he's awake because when he's awake, he's blind. But when he's dreaming, he's not. Yeah. And, and so... I can't help but think that maybe his spiritual eyes are open seeing things when when he's dreaming. Uh, And I find that very comforting because then as the physical senses fail, these other senses kick in. 
And Swedenborg says they're even clearer and brighter, and yeah. you know they're more able than our physical senses. Yep. And um, oh, Chelsea, did you want to say anything about it? I do, but yeah. <laughs> go now. Proceed. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, just I've been thinking a lot about seeing and light recently, and upcoming um, episode spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, so this idea of how can you see things that the physical body can't see, and really the physical body's ability to see is is very limited. It's mm. a very sort of tiny little aspect of our physical experience, and it's one of you know five physical senses. And they're sensing things. So it's about sensing. And so how can we see things that the physical body can't see? We're sort of, if seeing is sort of perceiving or interpreting, you know, receiving information and making something of it in our minds, then, you know, we're doing that all the time in ways that the physical body eyes has nothing to do with. And like, you know, people who do go blind where their auditory ability just gets so specific that they're able to actually navigate through the world just through hearing without relying on their sight. Um, And so I like to think that we have spiritual senses right now and we're just not, we don't use them very much. But if you sort of think about that and well, what would a spiritual sense be? And just, you know, and then maybe sort of start to tune into or explore what that might mean. You might realize that you have senses you know, just that ability to like, oh, my mom's going to call, bring, you know, oh, hi, mom. I didn't, weird. You know, how many times is that, you know, people have weird things. So somebody's looking at me and you turn around and they're looking at you. Or, yeah. you know, we have, that's just one level. But I think there's even more of that, the feeling, spiritual feeling or, you know, that kind of ability of perceiving things. Yeah. I think there's a world there to explore, even while we're alive in this body, that we just don't spend a lot of time on. I'm glad you took it in that direction because... There's a 50% chance that initially we're answering this question wrong because it's a text question. So how can you see things? Because it could be saying, how is that possible? Or it could be saying, how can I? Like, will you tell me uh-huh. how to do it? I will say uh-huh. uh, this. If you are right. under- how can you? <laughs> if you are understanding something, that you're understanding a concept, that is your spirit seeing that spiritually Mm -hmm. that a concept an understood concept is some kind of spiritual object it's not just a computing process that spiritual light is what is in your mind when you understand something so to us it seems pretty obscure but you could maybe push that out i mean that could be a starting point we won't go too far into how to do it because as i always tell everyone who asks Swedenborg wrote a lot, and he spends barely any time on how to do this trick yourself he's really going way out into uh, you know, way out into this crazy world of experience to tell you how to do very practical, mundane things in, in this world. So <laughs> I'm going to have to cut it off there so we get to our question. Okay. I do want to say, if anyone at home is hearing squeaking, that's the chair. It's not me. Okay? Um, <laughs> let's get to our next one. John, regarding uses, what does Jesus want mm-hmm. us to do? Uses. And uh, the... Jesus that Swedenborg describes is God in a tangible form that we can see and understand. So to say, what does Jesus want to do? What does God want us to do? It's the same to Swedenborg. So uses also as a a Swedenborgian term that we were talking about it last question, actions that benefit something is one way that you could say it. Mm -hmm. Useful functions he talks about a lot. So the question is, 
regarding uses. What does Jesus want us to do? Let's have an answer. Yes? I uh, thought that comes to mind is that um, something I love very much in what Swedenborg says is that everyone has their own love and their own understanding. Mm-hmm. So everyone has a slightly different take. Sometimes uh, various forms of religion or spirituality seem to sort of reduce people to a cookie, cookie cutter or like everybody's the same or they should be the same or something mm-hmm. like that. I like Swedenborg's emphasis that everybody's supposed to be different. Yeah. And he says that the angels get sort of feel nauseous at even just the idea that any two people are the same <laughs> yeah. uh, because we're all supposed to be different. So what does Jesus want us to do individually and specifically? You know, there are ge- generic things you could say like, well, have compassion, learn truth, you know, gain an understanding. But I think what he specifically wants is that if there's something that you can identify that you love more than anybody you know loves. Mm-hmm. Or something you know about more than anybody you know knows about that. Uh, see if you can figure out a way to be useful to other people with that thing. Right. Because that's your special gift that you have to give to other people. You occupy a certain spiritual territory that nobody else is on. And so that's what that's what Jesus wants you to do, to deploy your specific gifts that make you different than everybody else. I accept that answer. Do you guys have other ones? Gracious of you. Yeah. Uh, my just immediate thought to that was uh in regard to the suffering issue often our usefulness to others comes out of our suffering i mean in a big way Mm -hmm. like how many psychologists came through difficult childhoods or something like that true um i saw a movie recently uh it had a sad ending but this guy had was it american sniper probably american sniper where (laughs) he's like goes out and he is in war and he's all messed up and he finds he's he's really ptsd can't interact with his family well but he goes to this place where there's wounded veterans and in interacting with them and trying to help them uh, he he finds normalcy again and i don't want to spoil the end of the movie it doesn't end that happily but the point is that that's exactly what you're talking about that, that, that's so that true yeah it really heightens your awareness of like oh people really need this need yeah. help in yeah. this well, arena or right. and there was that and then i'll kick it over but there was that story of there was a woman who and I don't have good names or, or dates for this, but there was there was a woman who stopped someone who was going to commit a mass shooting. I don't know if you guys heard about this. Um, there was a guy who came into somewhere. <laughs> I don't know any of the facts. <laughs> it's not a funny subject, but uh, and he he had a weapon and he was going to kill a bunch of people. But she talked him out of it, and it was and she said in an interview later that she had had all kinds of hard things happen to her in her life, and she felt like. All, everything that had happened in her life was preparing her for that moment. Mm. I'm getting goosebumps from that. Preparing mm. her for that moment. Uh, this is her own word. You know, that that um, th- that was what it was all for. And so it was out mm. of her suffering that she was able to stop a, a lot more suffering. Mm. So, mm. Chelsea. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, I like all of this. <laughs> See, I, are, you, are you guys glad you showed up? <laughs> <laughs> There's the, I feel like just the other side of that, even though I like living life that way. Um, mm is just the very basic, you know, if you don't feel so connected to that specific, you know, or maybe your your life isn't such, I don't know. Anyway, the thoughts that came to mind was just, you know, the basic to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, so just th- there's a usefulness to just showing up to what your day brings you and, you know, doing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Whatever, like, yeah. honestly, and so I, yeah, true, yeah. true. I, I find that um, there are basic principles, you know, that that are in a lot of traditions. Swedenborg states them, um, you know, looking for 
wanting to surf, um, not wanting to be better than other people, these kinds of things. And these are sort of the, the, ne- the push away the negative stuff. And then Swedenborg says, in, in regeneration, in spiritual growth, our primary job is to push away the conceit, harmful things, that the good stuff will then you know, flow in. Um, mm. So it seems like once somebody told me, life is like a string of pearls. Grab one and the rest will follow. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, because we get all wound up in, you know, can I find the perfect job? Can I find spirituality? Uh, you know, will my life circumstances turn out like I want? And the idea of, okay, I'm going to grab this pearl, which is which Great. is following the, the tradition of, of love uh, to my best of my ability. The rest can follow from that. So right. That and that's, cool. that's something that I think I've come to that I've noticed is that we can get so much in our heads about it and that the idea that it just can come down to the, you know, living the Ten Commandments and sort of that's what I'm meant to take care of and then knowing that Mm -hmm. things will come into your life or experiences will happen that are leading you on this path that is specific to you, you know. And so, I mean, it's a great, rich journey, but it can come down to very simple, what Mm -hmm. you know, what's the next right thing? Yeah, 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 and so... Swedenborg describes like the two big goals for us are love of God and love of the neighbor. Mm -hmm. And he defines charity or uh, love of the neighbor as, uh, yeah, kindness, goodwill, as honestly, justly, and faithfully doing whatever your job is today. And uh, that's just a great way to serve the entire world is by honestly, justly, and faithfully doing. Well, and think if... If everybody was doing that, you know, how would you feel about, oh, should we take this rest stop here? Well, why not? Everybody there is going to be honestly, justly, and faithfully <laughs> doing what they're supposed to do today. That sounds good. You know, <laughs> you wouldn't be like, should we go to go visit that place? Of course we should. Everyone there is mm-hmm. trying to do their best, and lo- that would be nice. It'd be a nice place to travel. Okay, let's take, thanks, John. Let's take a look at the next question. Thomas, I wonder if Swedenborg, if wonder if Swedenborg says anything about numerology. In his books, what is numerology? That's my question. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know too much about numerology, but I believe it's a way of reading numbers in the way that people read words. Okay, you know that there are meanings within numbers and so on. Well, then he does. Swedenborg doesn't use the term numerology to the best of my knowledge. Don't know if that term was around back then, uh, but he does. First of all, he's very interested in numbers himself and what numbers mean. Right. He talks about the numbers in the Bible having meaning, which a lot of people believe they do. And he also says that the highest angels, the, who he calls the heavenly angels or yep. celestial angels, uh, either sometimes speak or communicate in numbers or that just when they're talking, numbers are just sort of displayed around them. There's something about the order of numbers. So I find that very intriguing. Yeah. And so... I, I can certainly see an affinity between what he says and numerology. That's, yeah. that's one way to make the Bible a lot more interesting is if you realize there's some very interesting meaning to any number that you come across. Like you can just open the Bible to any chapter of any book and read through it and it'll just sound like gobbledygook maybe. Yeah. And then you go through and say, wait, it said there were three people and it was 47 years and it was on the 10th day of the seventh yeah. month. And then you just know that there's just so much going on there. So let's do a little <laughs> popcorn. What what basic numbers? 40 has to do, and this is in what Swedenborg describes in Secrets of Heaven, 
all over the internal sense of the Old and New Testaments, the words in them. 40 <laughs> is state of temptation or, or spiritual struggle. So 40 days rain and makes the ark go up. That's the, So that's why it was 40 days. That's the completion of temptation. Okay. We can all go around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Seven is holiness, like the seven days of creation or... Um, what else is seven? There's lots of sevens. Oh, well, man. seven months, Sacredness. it could be 70 times seven. 70 you know? times seven, right, right, yeah. right. Anything seven. Anything seven. Yeah, three has to do with truth. Um, yeah. Three days that he rose and back And three is also complete. That's right. Three is often like it's one, two, and then on the third day something, you know, mm-hmm. you try three times and, and then the third time it works kind of thing. So yeah. Third time is a charm, people say. Right. Uh, go ahead. My two favorites are 12 is sort of all of goodness and truth. So it can describe sort of the variety and the and the balance too. It's six and six. It's just this, mm. you know, there's 12 uh, gates to the 12 city, gates, 12 disciples, yeah. 12, 12 tribes of 12 Israel. Tribes of Israel. Right. Um, and then um, 10 is just remains or just the like the, the little things that get you through like so listen, the, the, yeah. remains is a Swedenborgian right. term what does remains mean um well there's different ways it can mean I, as far as I know it's sort of the storehouse of any positive experience where you get to experience something that's true so whether it's like an, a real experience of love in your life or from you know just yeah from childhood yeah. or something and also any true ideas that really connect you you know it's connecting you to heaven to the spiritual world and so these can be in you but they can sometimes be very hidden or very dormant or get very buried by a lot of junk that you build up in life and everything but then you know, the Lord, there's the chapter, I'm blanking on what one it is, but, oh, yeah, it's Moses, or no, Abraham, telling, one of those guys, saying, man. are you going to kill everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah, but what if there's 40 people left, and they're good, yeah. and, and the, God says, all right, fine, I won't kill them, well, what about 25, 30, mm-hmm. everything, he goes down, finally gets to 10, because that's that special number 10 of the remains, yeah. and that's, if there's even just the littlest remnant of something good in somebody, would you still destroy them? And yeah. God says, no, I won't. So this, this is an example of what I was talking about, about the external sense of a story in the Old Testament looking sketchy, but the internal sense is good. Mm-hmm. So externally, yeah. you think, mm-hmm. okay, why is God going to kill a whole city? Like, what does he gain from killing a whole city of people? Um, but if, if you know that's all about the individual human mind and the, the numbers going down, even if you have the tiniest little shred of goodness and truth in you that, that God can draw on, you won't die spiritually. Not that God will kill you, but you won't want hell. You know, mm-hmm. the, Even if you have that, God can pull it out. So there's this, this God always coming after you to get. So mm-hmm. that, does that make sense at home? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that, that's what I was talking about when I said, it's a flip, man. It's like, seems like it's bad, but it's good. <laughs> Let's get to our next question. Thanks, Thomas. Lisa, what was Swedenborg's favorite experience in the spirit world? What did he see? What was his favorite? Mm-hmm. Did he ever like have a? In, you guys have seen the Carmen. original text. Does he have like a star in the margins that says like <laughs> right. this, this was the coolest thing I ever saw? <laughs> Lots of happy faces. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Emoticons. Boy, there was so much. He what what he does instead of. Uh, stars as he writes nb nota bene which means note well note well and yes. some of his margins will say nb 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 oh, yes. <laughs> but the thing is he does that thousands of times all the time yeah. um, you think about like having so many experiences of that caliber and i gotta remember this i got but the next day I gotta oh god this. that was really important 
Yeah. I would say the the you know, I mean, this is just going way out on a limb and speaking for him, but I would say that his experience of realizing how present this divine love was, divine mm. love and wisdom, how how even the events of his own life, you know, had been shaped by the hand of God and there was a meaning in it all and and the, that that whole everything spiritual is so close at hand he says at one point it's people think it's like some distant thing that you can hardly see he says it's like a bird of paradise that's almost brushing your eye with its feathers you know it's so close yeah. that I, I think uh that was very powerful to him and the way that he writes about just who the lord is and and what that divine compassion and love is how intelligent and and uh and loving and amazing uh, God is. I, I think that's what blew him away. And those highest angels who most kind of embody that as, as close as a human being can can get to that outside of the Lord. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Does anyone else want to speak for Swedenborg? Because <laughs> right, that, that's, that's what we're asked to do. And so that's what we're doing. Actually, this whole thing we're kind of speaking for, like this whole show. I wonder oh, yeah. like if he could watch it today or if he does in spiritual ways. No, like, no. Hey, this it wasn't is, that. That's <laughs> not it. They, no. they don't have any Please. of it right. Cancel. Cancel your show. You're ruining my reputation. That was uh, utterly wrong. <laughs> okay, let's take a look. I think we have time for two more. So we're going to do two more questions. Um, and if you're still watching... Good on you. Okay. This is from Guy. I understand that Swedenborg never mentioned the idea of reincarnation, but has he ever mentioned a pre-Earth existence or a spiritual life prior to inhabiting a body? Mm. Great question. Uh, and we could go, you know, we could talk a little bit about, he doesn't mention reincarnation. I love to talk about the similar, the, the sort of non-reincarnation similarities between mm. the ideas of reincarnation. And because it's, you know, some people, there's a hard cut. There's no reincarnation. But Swedenborg does, just like the reincarnation principle says, you continue to develop over multiple lifetimes. Swedenborg says, you continue to develop forever. It's just that you do it in the spiritual world instead of here. He says that each stage there is like an egg to the one that That's follows. Right. He also, mm. like people, part of reincarnation is to say, you work out your own issues lifetime after lifetime. Here he says that actually lineages work out those issues, like parents pass it to children, pass it in your work, so it's not, the, there are similarities, but he doesn't seem to say that you come back. Does he say, I, I haven't found him saying anything about a pre-life. Yeah. No. Me neither. No, I haven't found anything about a pre-life. And, and uh, that's, a, that's a popular idea these days. And I can see that it might solve some problems of sort of the unfairness of being alive. Right. That maybe if there were decisions made ahead of time that you forgot, or that you picked those dysfunctional cool parents idea. as the best place yeah. for you to be in or something. Swedenborg doesn't have a hint of that anywhere. And I imagine he would probably say that it doesn't work that way because he's so big on the idea that kind of what you might call the tabula rasa that when we're born we we sort of exist in a potential form but we're not and you have a certain nature that you can see in little children but but the mind is really not formed you know it starts it starts at, at birth you know that mind gets to be formed and so right. on so so i don't think he would believe that there could be a mind He's very big on the fact that the mind dwells in the brain and that the mind is a spiritual form and that lives in this organic form of the brain and so on. So I'm not sure he would... I think he believes that you have to be born in the flesh to develop that mind. You know, before you're born in the flesh, you wouldn't have it. So that's yeah. my guess as to what he would say. Other thoughts? Um, I think it's an interesting thing that 
uh, <clears throat> just the way that you know babies are born and it is so much that we or I think Swedenborg talks about that the necessity of our time in the physical world to prepare us for our eternal life in the spiritual world Um, and and yet God like when I think in terms of like and maybe I'm just thinking about this differently than other people do but with the idea of reincarnation or pre-life existence like I just think God loves creating new human beings that are just totally unique and are going to exist forever. You know, like our sense of self is such an interesting thing. And I think, you know, it's such a gift that God gives us. And so, of course, he's just wanting to make more and more of these people and that they are just totally unique. And then they get to exist as themselves and have this sense of self. And so, again, with this, you know physical world focus like there's the spiritual world is so much bigger than just our little planet or physical world whatever and so we can yeah so our path is just it can be lots of individual people and there's an issue with asking about something before and that's because there's not actually time i mean in (laughs) in this swedenborg says Time, as we see it in the physical world, is an appearance, physical world appearance. That the spiritual world, spiritual is reality. Physical right. is kind of a, a program running off this the spiritual world, and that there's not actually time like we perceive it here. Also, if you're talking about God and, and creating us in pre-birth, God sees all time as the present. So somehow God is, mm-hmm. and yeah, if we are unique individuals that are embody a particular affection, as he says. Yes, there has to already be a little space carved out for you before you're here because you come out of some, do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, you come out mm-hmm. of some kind of potential, but there's not how is there's not really before to God. So mm. do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that that's what I want right. to say about that. And, and definitely, it's amazing how long before little tiny children have the foggiest idea they exist as a separate entity from others or whatever. They already have a nature, you know. Yeah. You, you can have 14 kids they'll all be different than each other and, yeah. and uh, uh, so there is something there to that nature right. but I do think it's more about the hand of God than necessarily a pre-existence up in the spiritual world and then you come down yeah. kind of idea yeah, so, yeah. what comes to mind is the quote from Jeremiah Jeremiah before I formed you in the womb I knew you mm-hmm. so that you know somehow God's creating like you said he's creating these New wonderful people, but that's right. different than us uh, sitting around waiting till we make our entrance. Right. Something. Yeah. It can be boring. Yeah. <laughs> waiting. I, I like, you know, okay. The waiting is tedious. I want to say something that I like about that idea of pre life, which you touched on in the beginning. I, I like emotionally the idea. Yes. We had so, you think about this person who's you've had such a hard time with in life. The idea that you guys were sitting around chummy beforehand, like, we're going to do this, it's going to be really hard, but you know. It's going to be good for both. That that is like really emotionally potent. So I, I hear mm. where that's coming from. There's got to be even if the world is as Swedenborg says it is. There's got to be some kind of equivalent of that. Not mm. that you are sitting around with them, but that on some level we're we're all going to get to a place where we're like, ah man, you really caused me a lot of problems, and that's how it was supposed to be, and we're buddies. So however mm. that comes about, mm. yeah, I, I just point. love that point that that God exists and the spiritual reality exists outside of time and space. And so 
you know, Swedenborg does say you can go insane thinking about things in terms of time and space and trying to apply those concepts to, to the, the spiritual world. Yeah. And that idea, I, it really is true that with newborns, they don't know that they're their own thing before they already are their own thing. And so just how we're always in this cosmic hide and seek in this <laughs> world and in the next world in terms of like, it'll, it'll probably make a lot more sense when we're fully on the other side in the spiritual world. With that... Let's get to our very last question. Drum roll. Karen Land, YouTube. Does Swedenborg say anything about the Earth being a living entity? Mm. He says that everything physical is sort of a shell for spiritual something. That we are physical, that our, our physical bodies without a spiritual something inside are, are dead. So that, that's how I want to lay the... So the earth, the physical earth, is just physical matter, like anything. But it's got to have some kind of spiritual component to it, or else it couldn't exist. So mm-hmm. that's how I want to open it up. Does that make sense? So the question is, does, does he talk about... There, there's sort of a, an idea currently about the earth as a conscious, sentient mm-hmm. being. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. So I want to hear what you guys think about it. Um, tell, me, tell me the truth. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a couple of thoughts. Sure. Um, one is that Swedenborg talks a lot, especially in his book, Divine Love and Wisdom, about how creation happened and how there was divine love and wisdom. And then that came down to another level and it became atmospheres and lands and water in the spiritual world. Right. And then that came down to the physical world, became atmospheres and land and water. And so he says that even in the physical soil, even in the, you know, even in rocks and, and the most inert, inanimate things, there's still something of God in there. There's a, there's a purpose. And it, I've thought of it sometimes as like um, a programmer who writes a program will often leave, an, leave a back door so they can get back into the program and, yeah. and hack it you know, remotely or something like that. Uh, God wouldn't have created all this without creating a back door so he could get into it. You know, so there's yeah. access uh, to it. Uh, the other thought, and so I think there's a way of seeing it that it's alive. The other thought that came to mind is that Swedenborg says that the highest angels and little children have the same attribute, which is that they see that everything is alive. Man, I was going to say that when they came back. Elaborate a little bit. They're toys, you know, like yeah. everything. And, and I think I, I have to admit as I go along, I'm no celestial angel, but the, um, you start to realize that, oh, you know, like I have three pens in my pocket, but one of them's sort of jealous of the other one because <laughs> I really like, you know, it's like it's a silly way to think about life. Yeah. And yet it's true. It's sort of fun that these things yeah. really do have a, a, a kind of a life to them. Now, in terms of the whole planet having its own consciousness, I, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where Swedenborg would come out on that idea. Uh but I think the way he sees it is just the divine life, like the whole universe is just shot through with that divine life. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. And everything is purposeful. I, I, like the way that, you know, you can have leaves fall in your gutter and a little bit of rain and then it turns into soil. It's just like dying to turn into a field up there. You know, yeah. it's a, like the, that's, that's even the most, it's just the dirt, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It, it's dying to turn into something, be something useful and generate something. So that is an amazing quality about about the world yeah you guys want to put in your two cents here yeah i think that that it reminds me of how swedenborg says that you know he describes god as the underlying divine reality 
And so there is a lot of talk about, is it a continuum? You know, like, is this physical world to the spiritual world just this, you know, can you go from here to God? And that's just a straight shot. So we are just sort of an expression of God. And this is, you know, so even the dirt is God, you know, or something in one way. But I love the balance that Swedenborg gets into about how essential the physical universe is. And it makes sense to me, I guess, sort of philosophically, or just that you have this uh, divine being who is divine love and wisdom itself. But if you are this divine being, you want to create, you just want to manifest yourself, you know, so you, so really the, the divine can't exist apart from its manifestation. Like it has, these two parts have to be together. And so Swedenborg says that the spiritual world its foundation is the physical world. Like it couldn't exist without the physical world, yeah. even though it's so sort of the the reason, the purpose, the everything. It sort of feels like, oh, what's what's us? We're just a bunch of yeah. dirt whirling through the galaxy or and something. Heaven, heaven couldn't, angels couldn't exist if there weren't people on earth. Right. right. So there's something so essential about this physical world. But then when you get down into it, when you have us as these sort of like sentient beings that are then looking at this physical earth that ends, I think it just sort of turns into just like how if, you know, we understand with physics or whatever, that actually the deeper you go into matter, the more space there is, you know, like there's actually where there's actually not a lot of this whole solidity thing is a little bit of an illusion. And so like when we approach physical earth, it's dead, according to Swedenborg, like the son of the physical world is, you know, it's all just matter, but really it ends up being just this very thin veil so that you're just experiencing the divine, you know, that underlying divine reality that's just so present. And yet there has to be this distinction or there's this two-ness about it. And yet it's like so connected. And it's, it's all an image that he says that in the physical world, you can see God like you'd see someone in a mirror. So it's not that this table is God, mm. but this table is telling me something about God. Everything is delivering yeah. that message. That's like semi-poetic, so why don't we end on that? <laughs> We're at our time here. Everybody, thank you so much for coming. I uh, really appreciate getting the questions. If, if we didn't get t- time to get to yours, feel free to leave them in the comment section. We'll try to get to them later on. Next week, we return to our regularly scheduled programming format. We're going to talk about the effect of gratitude. So we'll see you then. Don't forget to like this program, please. Uh, if you did like it, and if you didn't, don't click it. It wouldn't be honest. Uh, subscribe to the channel. All these things help us out and help get get the message out. And if you want to support the programming, feel free to make a donation. Swedenborg Foundation is a nonprofit, so that means we try to do good and we won't just try to make money for ourselves. Uh, okay, thanks everybody. See you next week.